afternoon, America, and welcome to the Dean's List. We are back at it again today, shining the light of truth on the intentional dumbing down of education in this country. It's intentional. It's on purpose. It's not due to incompetence, although they are incompetent, but they're doing it on purpose. They're doing it because they know the only way to take things over, the only way to remake things, to reset things and their image and their fashion, the only way is to have an uneducated populace. It's to have uneducated individuals coming out of K-12, coming out of our universities. And we're shining the light of truth on it today. We are sounding the alarm. We must wake up. I'm happy you are on board. Thank you for joining us. I am Dean Bowen. You're listening to America Out Loud Talk Radio. Our email is thedean.list at protonmail.com. Reach out to us. Have questions, comments. We do enjoy reading the emails, so keep them coming. Thedean.list at protonmail.com. Or you can follow us on Instagram, the Dean's List 33. Yesterday, we started looking at this article. Uh, it's an article from, from 2021, so it's a couple of years old. And it's it's an article that Joshua Phillip and Ella Ketlinska, that they wrote based upon an interview they had with Alex Newman. And it's uh, Newman's assertion that dumbing down education is the key to dismantling America. And in the article, he is he's really talking about a communist takeover. He's talking about this joint takeover really between uh, Russia and China and other nations that are part of the BRICS. The point is that America right now is, is the sole superpower. But if America can be removed, then other, other nations, other countries can kind of step into the void. And the way to remove America is to dismantle the things she was built upon. The ideals that, 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 that make up her foundation. And these ideals are in the Declaration that all men are created equal, were endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, and that among these are life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. And it's it's the job of government, it's the role of government to defend these rights. These are foundational principles that we believe. And those foundational principles have to be removed in order for America to fall the foundation has to be removed. And so how do you do that? You do it by through education. You do it by teaching the kids something else. It's it's really been an ingenious two-pronged approach. Prong one was to change the way we look at the law based upon Darwin, based upon evolution. Let's look at the law differently. Let's not consider the law to be fixed or concrete or you know, or an edict from God. Let's let's consider it to be something that can evolve and can change, you know, because societies change. Societies evolve. Humanity evolves. So, you know, therefore the law should probably evolve. So we started looking at the law differently. And then that allowed the Supreme Court to, to recraft essentially the First Amendment. That's where they started. 
and they were able to recraft the First Amendment, which says that Congress shall not establish a religion, or, or you know, they they can't respect the establishment of a religion. That that's not the job of Congress is to not to oversee or sponsor a state-run religion. That's 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 the First Amendment. But you know, in addition to that, people have the right to express freely their religious beliefs. And they've been able to recraft the way it's defined to now mean that you can't have a free expression of religion anymore in the public square because that's akin to Congress establishing a religion. And and the whole reason, the whole the whole way they were able to redefine that First Amendment was based upon this whole idea of evolving law case precedent the law should shouldn't be fixed it should change that's the first prong the second prong you know something very akin to that has been happening in our public education once you know once we could kick out prayer once we could kick out the the foundational principles of prayer and the bible and religion and morality then we could we could start doing really the the same thing in K-12. It has been a, 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 a decades-long two-prong approach. Our eyes are open to it. My question is, is it too late? We're, we're here sounding the alarm. Is it too late? That is the question of the day. Is it too little too late to just be here talking about it? I don't think it is. I don't think it is too late. You know, we have we have families and individuals in California that are that are that are changing policies at the at the the board of education level within communities. Granted, you know, the leaders in California are, are fighting that. They're fighting that change. But we have people doing it. We have people who are not willing to roll over. As long as you have people that are willing to fight, in my opinion, it is never too late. It's, you know, it's this whole idea of the steward of Gondor, you know, screaming to his men, abandon your post, and Gandalf knocking him out, jumping on his horse and riding through the through the city, telling people, you know, return to your posts go back, fight, return to your post. It's We're in that moment. We're in that moment. As long as people are willing to stand up and fight, in my opinion, it's not too late. So what do we need to do? Should we, should we vacate? You know, should we leave public schools? Should we, you know, homeschool? Should we, should we find a Christian school, a classical school? Should we start schools? Yes, I would say yes to all of those, but what about the people that that don't have the ability to flee the public school? I guess that's what we're talking about. I guess we're we're talking about taking taking back school boards and taking back instruction. That's where we're at. It you know we we also need a, a several pronged approach to this whole thing. To this whole battle that we're in. This article here 
that Epic Times is is interviewing Alex Newman. I kind of got through halfway yesterday. I'd like to finish a little bit of it, and then I would like to segue into an example. An example, another unfortunate example of the degradation, but also the fight, an example of the fight. So Alex Newman in this article is talking about Dewey and how John Dewey was influenced by Darwin's theory of evolution. It was Dewey's belief. And by the way, if you missed yesterday, Dewey is called the father of American progressive education. So this guy is really the, uh, he's the tip of the spear behind all of this. You know, he, he was a Marxist at heart. He despised the Declaration of Independence. He despised individual freedom. He thought we should all, you know, be bound up in the, in the collective of the state. That was his opinion. And he feels like this should be taught in schools. And it was his opinion, it was his belief that parents should be, quote, weaned from the traditional tutelage of parents. That, you know, we, we, we've got to separate the kids and the parents. We can't have the kids being taught by the parents anymore. We need to start teaching the kids. And he saw this, this open ability this this open playground, if if you will, in our education system. He wants to wean parents from the tutelage or wean kids from the tutelage of their parents, and he sees this available to him in K twelve. And he's thinking, all right, if we can get teachers on board with this, if we can slowly but surely get teachers on board with this idea, we can take it over. We can make it happen. And he started raising people and teaching people. He started teaching disciples. So when he was long dead and gone, he had people to, to take over the operation. And it's been ongoing for decades. Alex Newman noted that Dewey advocated in his writings for a system that in reality would dump down the population. But Dewey didn't say this explicitly, but that's what he wanted. Dewey asserted that there is no need to teach kids how to read, write, and do the math. Um, does that sound like Oregon? That absolutely sounds like Oregon. Oregon is like, yeah, we love John Dewey. Why would we teach kids to read, write, and do the math? Instead, Dewey recommended that what kids, quote, really needed is to be properly socialized. Yeah, we don't need to teach them to, to read or to write, or to do math, or to think on their own, they have to be properly socialized. All right, let's pause here for a moment. Think of the of of the of the biggest attack on homeschool kids. What is it? What is the what is the number one thing that you hear when you say I'm homeschooling? Go ahead. What, what's that one thing that that people say to you? I'm listening. Uh-huh. Yeah, you got it right. The number one argument or the number one complaint or the number one question is simply this. Well, how how are they going to be socialized? How how are they going to be properly socialized if they're just at home with their with their parents all day long? How are they, you know, 
they're going to be awkward. They're not going to really know how to handle themselves because they're not properly socialized. I am so tired of hearing about homeschool kids not being properly socialized. And it's become a joke. You know, comedians joke about it and it's funny and we all laugh and, you know, I mean, we all probably know that homeschooler who is completely awkward. All right. But I promise you that individual is awkward, whether no matter where he or she is at, it's not because they're homeschooled. The homeschooled children have the capability of carrying on conversations with adults. It's true. They have the capability of leading other students when they're in a group because they're homeschooled and because they are actually properly socialized, being around adults more often and learning from those adults, seeing, oh, this is how I should handle this. But, you know, do we believe the opposite? You know, he said, we don't really need to teach them to read, write, and do the math. Instead, what they really need is to be properly socialized. They need to, to just be totally immersed in this collectivism so that they will understand that they need to work for the good of the whole, the good of the collective, as opposed to their own individual benefit or the benefit of their family. And this is, you know... What I meant when I said Dewey did not like the declaration, he didn't like this individual responsibility. He didn't like this, this idea of, of rugged individualism, that we're out here working for ourselves. You know, when you work for yourself, you better society. You better your community. You better the country. You better the world because it, it, it's not a selfish thing. It's not a selfish aspect. It's not selfish to want to to work for yourself and to better yourself. Because if everybody had this thought and this idea, then the whole community would be better. Now, it becomes selfish if I want to better myself at your expense. That's, you know, that's where selfishness kicks in. And I mm-hmm. I, I shouldn't be bettering myself at, at the expense of, of worsening you. The, the 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 ultimate attitude should be the rising tide lifts all boats. If I'm out here bettering myself and you're bettering yourself, then and she's bettering herself and they're bettering themselves, then the whole community is being bettered because of it. And Dewey didn't like that. He didn't like that. He 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 wanted everybody to be trained to be working for the community, not for themselves. But what that does is it takes away from the community. It actually degrades the community. It degenerates it. That is communism in action. You know, we saw this at at Plymouth Rock. The pilgrims land, they're not really sure what to do, and they have everything in common. They they have this garden and everybody was supposed to, you know, work the garden and, and then all the produce was to go to everybody. You know, but if you go back to the writings, what Bradford found was that not everybody was working the garden. The young, healthy men were like, yeah, why do I have to go work the garden? I mean, I, I'm just going to, um, all of my labor is going to go to this person. So I'm not going to work the garden today. 
and and he found that that nobody worked the garden and everybody was suffering because that's what communism does when you work for the quote collective the collective suffers so Bradford said you know you, you got to go do it for yourself if you if you don't work you don't eat and it's it's Bible it's a scriptural principle and so then everyone started working for themselves they went to the garden and they 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 took what they what they worked for and it bettered everybody it, but capitalism is a thousand percent better than socialism than marxism than communism you know but we've had communists marxists overtake our education system for decades and just like, you know, Khrushchev told Eisenhower, we will we will take over your country without even firing a shot. We are watching that unfold before our very eyes, like we're watching everything else unfold. The the purposeful dumbing down of education, we're watching it happen before our very eyes. And it's been happening for decades. And we have John Dewey to thank for it. And and his ilk and these disciples that that he raised in his image that once he was dead and gone, they could take over the, the process. And here we are. All right, we're going to pause for a break. I, uh, you know what, I could just, well, I will keep going. I'll keep going on the other side. I'm happy that you're joining us today. We are sounding the alarm. We are shining the light of truth. I'm Dean Bowen, and you are listening to The Dean's List on America Out Loud Talk Radio. I'm so confused. I don't know what to do. I'm afraid of going to the hospital. My doctor tells me nutrition doesn't work. Trust is earned. We are the Energetic Health Institute, and we want to earn your trust. Natural medicine, holistic nutrition, detoxification, fasting, cellular healing, and so much more. Remember, the best way to be free is to be healthy. So stop being a patient and start being a student at energetichealthinstitute.org. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep is infuriating. Your mind races, you toss and turn. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created REM sleep to help you quickly fall asleep, stay asleep, and sleep deep. Unlike other supplements that don't work, REM sleep is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients, supporting all four stages of sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order, risk-free. Love it or your money back, guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Out loud. The pandemic may be over for some, but millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-haul effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. You've heard Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company discuss the harmful effects of spike protein in your body. And now they found the solution, the miracle enzyme natokinase. Their spike support formula contains natokinase the most compelling and scientifically supported approach to safely clear spike protein out of the body. What's more, spike support is optimized with other all-natural, non-GMO ingredients, like dandelion root, to help prevent spike protein from binding to your cells. Everyone should take daily spike support so you can feel your best. America Out Loud listeners can go to outloudcare.com today 
and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Welcome back to The Dean's List. I am Dean Bowen. You are listening to America Out Loud Talk Radio. We are happy to have you on board with us today. You can find us here on America Out Loud, Monday through Friday, 2 p.m. Eastern Time. Or you can listen to us on iHeartRadio. Or you can download the America Out Loud app, the talk radio app, and you can catch us live there on the app or in the podcasts. The shows usually go to podcasts the next day, and you can find us wherever you find your podcasts. Or you can also go to americaoutloud.news, go to the show page, scroll down. You can find every single every single episode, every show is there listed. So I encourage you to, to go through the go through the shows and find the five-part series that we did in support of the Matt Gates bill. You know, as we're talking about the dumbing down of American education, you know, we've got Matt Gates out here who's who's proposing this bill. It's it's the Protect Prayer in Schools Act, and and he is proposing that prayer come back in, and he cites these reasons why. And you know, so we went on a a five part series to to historically defend that bill and to historically defend why prayer should be allowed in schools. And in there, we get into how we got here. <laughs> we, 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 we talk about what happened between 1776 and now, you know, how is it that we started in complete and utter freedom, but you know, here we are. And now our education is being dumbed down on purpose. And so we get into that. And I, I encourage you, find that, go back and listen to it. If you like history, there's a lot of history in there. I was uh, I was hesitant at, at first to, I guess, to dive in and, and get so historical. I didn't want to, you know, put people to sleep. That's not the goal here. The goal is to shine the light of truth, not to put people to sleep. But I, I continually get feedback on that five-part series, and people are thanking me. Thank you for diving into history because, it, you know, we didn't know it. So I encourage you, you know, whether you like history or not, go go find the five-part series. Listen to it. Uh, I, I think you will be, you'll be happy about it. You'll be better because of it. Because, you know, the more we, we realize where we came from, what the truth of the matter is, and, and how we got here, I, I think it helps to, to open our eyes up. I, I do. I think it helps us to to pay attention better. You know, we got people like like John Dewey, you know, who who believed that we didn't really need to teach the kids how to read, write, and do math. I mean, it's okay as long as the elites know how to read, write, and do math. That's all that matters. I mean, John Dewey, he can read, write, and do math, but we don't need the kids to do it because the kids just need to be properly socialized because then they can do what we ask them to do. The kids need to be properly socialized so they can perform the work that I want them to perform, so they can do my bidding. All right, back to the article. As an example of Dewey's approach, Newman cited the state of Oregon, 
for testing for proficiency requirements to graduate from high school have been discontinued. So a student who is unable to read, write, or do any math can get a high school diploma. Well, wait, Dean, I thought that just happened. I thought Oregon just secretly made that a law. And this article is from 2021. Ah, yes to both. Because the governor in Oregon, in response to the pandemic in 2020, she, she produces this executive order, which puts an end to all requirements for freshmen and sophomores. The freshmen and sophomore, because of this panic, you know, they're going to get behind. We're going to suspend the graduation requirements as they pertain to proficiency in math, reading, and writing. Just suspend them. They're all done. That, that was in 2020. That's what Alex Newman is referring to in this 21 interview. That Oregon is, they're following Dewey's example. And so what, what just happened a couple of weeks ago is Oregon took her executive order and then they made it law. They signed a bill that it is, it, it, it's law now. It's not just executive order. It is law. The Democrats in the state house and the state Senate, along with one rhino Republican who, who knows where his head is at. And they, they passed this law that they were going to suspend. They're only going to suspend it for three years, Dean. It's, it's fine. I mean, they had to do this. They had to suspend it so they could properly look at the requirements to see if they were too tough or not, ultimately. And, you know, the representative from, from the governor's office said, essentially, that, you know, the, the assessment is unfair. These proficiency requirements, they're unfair because children of color cannot do it. They can't do it. They just can't do it. They're not smart enough. Uh, are, are we are we paying attention? I hope we are. I really do. I hope we are. I know this audience is. I know this audience is is paying attention. We 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 are we are living this. We are watching this in real time. We're watching this unfold in real time. So people in Oregon, the question here is, what what are your plans? What are your plans to? to offset this, you have some decisions to make. You can you can pull out of the public schools in droves. You can find yourself a homeschool co-op if you want to find a classical Christian school. If you live in Oregon and you want to find a classical Christian school, reach out to me. I will pull up the database and we will talk through it. You want to find a homeschool co-op, reach out to me. We, we, we we will help you along if that's if that's the route you want to take. But what if you can't? What if you can't homeschool or you know what what if what if you can't afford Christian school or private school? I get it. All of these issues are real. These are these are real-time issues. I understand it. What is the option? The option is to is to fight it. How do we fight it? We fight it at the school board level. We show up. We show up, we show up. Maybe we we get a, a recall petition going for this governor and every single Democrat who signed off on this ridiculous law because they want your children leaving high school stupid. 
they want they want them leaving stupid. They want them. They don't want them to read right and do math. That's for sure. Newman pointed to the national. I'm back to the article. Newman pointed to national assessment of educational progress data, which shows that less than a third of public school students are proficient in reading, writing, arithmetic, or any other core subject. A third of public school students, 33%, less than a third are proficient. So that means 66% of our public school students are not proficient in reading, writing, math, science, history. They have no idea what's going on. Mark Berline, a professor at Emory University, wrote in his book that on history exam, on the history exam of the 2001 National Assessment of Educational Progress. So this is 2001. This is 20 years ago. 57% of students scored below basic. Only 1% achieved an advanced score. 50, this is 2001, mind you, 57% scored below basic. John Taylor Gatto, a senior teacher and educational researcher in New York City, said in his book, pick up a fifth grade math or rhetoric textbook from 1850, and you'll see that the texts were pitched then on what would today be considered a college level. And we, and we talked about that. I gave you the mental math. I, I You know what? I, I just, I mean, just for the sake of, of fun, if you missed the last two days, because I've given you this mental math question for two days now. Here it is on day three. This is from an elementary math problem, 1877. 1877. And the kids had to do this problem in their head. They couldn't use pencil. They couldn't use paper. They had to do it in their head. On a farm, there are 60 animals. All right, that's that's easy enough. I got 60 animals in my head. Horses, cows, and sheep. Okay, I'm with you. For each horse, there are three cows. For each cow, there are two sheep. How many animals of each kind? On your mark. Get set. Go. Do it in your head. Do the math in your head. This was expected of elementary students in 1877, and I've been putting this out there for, for two days now, today's day three. For three days now, I've been putting this math problem out there. Time yourself, see if you can do this in your head in 10 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour. Can you do it at all? That's the, that's the question. Okay, here's another one. A boat worth $864 of which eighth of it belonged to A, quarter of it belonged to B, and the rest belonged to C. But the boat was lost. What loss did each sustain, the boat having been insured for $500? Do that math problem in your head, because this was expected of our elementary students 
1877. This is what we're talking about here. This is what John Taylor Gatto, a senior teacher in New York City, said. You, you, you go ahead, pick up a, a textbook from 1850s. And what our fifth graders were learning would be considered college level now. It's college level. This is college level thinking. And college students can't do it. I mean, I shouldn't say that because I've not asked a college student. But I, that's my prediction. I don't, you know, that's my prediction. They can't handle it. Absolutely cannot handle it. Thomas Sowell, an American scholar and senior fellow of the Hoover Institute at Stanford, observed the following. It is not merely that Johnny can't read or even that Johnny can't think. Johnny doesn't know what thinking is because thinking is so often confused with feeling in many public schools. So Sowell is referencing a book entitled Johnny Can't Read. This, this comes from, uh, or it was called Why Johnny Can't Read. It's 1955. Uh, the author was a man by the name of uh, Flesch, Flesch, F-L-E-S-C-H. And he, he wrote this, this book really in response to the, the change in our phonic system. And again, we have John Dewey really to, to thank for this. There was a, a reverend in the 1830s who developed, you know, ultimately a way to, to speak to, to deaf people. And it was, it was to take words, whole words, and, and to have signs for them. So, um, since since the deaf have no conception of a spoken language, they could not learn a phonetic or sound symbol system of reading. And that's how we taught our children. We, we taught them phonetics. We didn't teach them words. We taught them the individual sound that letters and combined letters make. And that's how we taught them how to how to read. D deaf students, this this doesn't work because they can't hear. So instead, they were taught to read by a purely sight method, consisting of pictures juxtaposed with whole words. Thus, the whole word was seen to represent an idea or image, not the sounds of the language. The written word itself was regarded as a little picture, much like, you know, how, how it is in the Chinese language. In 1837, the Boston Primary School Committee decided to adopt this, this type of, of reading. By 1844, the results were so disastrous that a group of Boston schoolmasters published a blistering attack on the whole word method, and it was thrown out of the schools. They thought, hey, let's try this. I mean, it, you know, we'll just, we'll give it a shot. 1837, they incorporate it. They run it for seven years. By 1844, the results are disastrous. The kids are, are certainly not reading any better. Their reading is atrocious. They offer this blistering attack and they throw it out. And it was called the look-say method because you would look at a word and then you would say the word. The look-say was kept alive, however, in new state schools where it was taught 
as a legitimate alternative to the alphabetic phonics method. Mm. So progressives got a hold of this idea. Progressives like John Dewey, who felt like, you know, we don't really need to teach our kids to read and write and do math. Why don't we teach them the whole word method? And let's not teach phonics. You know, this is how I was I was taught, you know. See Dick run, see Jane, you know, do whatever. And and you would you learn the words. I learned words instead of phonics. And I'm worse because of it. I can tell you that right now. So in 1955, Robert Fleisch writes this book, Why Johnny Can't Read. And here's what he said. The teaching of reading all, all over the United States and all the schools and all the textbooks is totally wrong and flies in the face of all logic and common sense. It is a foolproof system, all right. Every grade school teacher in the country has to go to a teacher's college or school of education. Every teacher's college gives at least one course on how to teach reading. Every course on how to teach reading is based on a textbook. Every one of those textbooks is written by one of the high priests of the word method. The old days, it was impossible to keep a good teacher from following her own common sense, practical knowledge. Today, the phonetic system of teaching reading is kept out of our schools as effectively as if we had a dictatorship with an all-powerful ministry of education. Because our teachers have to go to teachers' colleges where they are learned how to use whole word and not phonetics. This was in the 1950s. Uh-huh. Oh, boy. I know it. I know what our heads are spinning. It's a lot to take in. We're going to take a break because some of you might need to take a deep breath. We'll pick it up on the other side. You're listening to The Dean's List on America Out Loud Talk Radio. For 25 years, Global Healing has proudly produced the highest quality supplements and cleansing programs that are rooted in nature and backed by science. Get 15% off all of our products using code OUTLOUD. Global Healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. Hey everyone, Nurse Kimberly Overton here from Nurses Out Loud. Over time, our cell signaling molecules diminished, leaving us vulnerable to the wear and tear of life. With the Sea of Redox, you can restore and revitalize your body at the cellular level. This is an incredible product that I personally use and can attest to seeing fantastic results, including better sleep, increased energy, improved mood, and a decrease in my joint pain. ASEA supports your immune system, enhancing your body's natural ability to repair itself. It promotes overall well-being so that you can experience a new level of vitality and resilience. It's time to take control of your health and experience the power of ASEA. Visit our online store today at americaoutloud.shop and use promo code OUTLOUD to save 15%. Be sure to tune in to Nurses Out Loud Monday through Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern. Welcome back to the Dean's List. I'm Dean Bowen. We are talking about the dumbing down of education. 
and this topic is upsetting. It is. It just, it just makes me angry. You know, when we go back through history and we see how things were changed, we, you know, a classical education at Waterbrook Christian Academy, we teach our students to read by using phonics because it's the way we used to do things. A classical education goes back to the way we used to do things. And this is why classical education is on the rise. Uh, I've got an article here on my stack of stuff, which just talks about the explosion of classical education. Uh, and I, I am a firm believer in it. I think if you can find yourself a classical Christian school, and if you can't find a classical Christian school, find a classical charter school. It's better than nothing. But ultimately, if you can get a classical Christian school, you're going to really get the, the best of everything. In my opinion, in my humble opinion. So phonics was thwarted. It was something that the progressives did not want. John Dewey did not want phonics to be taught because he he believed it, we don't really need to teach the students how to read, write, and do math. Let's just let's just socialize them. Let's get them acting how we want them to act. And there was this whole word method of of reading that was used for for deaf children because they could not hear phonetically, so they would look at the word, and it would be juxtaposed, you know, to a symbol. And this was adopted in our public schools, this whole idea of what they called word say, it was the word say method. Rudolf Flesch, that's his name, Rudolf, in 1955, writes this book called Why Johnny Can't Read. And, you know, he talks about it. He, he basically calls out this word, word say method. And then he explains how it's been happening. And that this is how new teachers coming into the system are being taught. Because who took over the colleges and the universities? The progressive left. And so now they're teaching the new, the new teachers who are then going to go into, into K-12 schools. So in this textbook, he, you know, he calls them out or not in, in textbook. And in, in this book that he's written, this is uh, a portion of the book. He says it's a foolproof system, all right. You know, this whole system of words say and that it's being it's being taught to the new teachers so then they can teach it. And he uses some interesting language here. He says, every course on how to teach reading is based on a textbook. Every one of those textbooks is written by one of the high priests of the word method. In the old days, it was impossible to keep a good teacher from following her own common sense and practical knowledge. Today, the phonetic system of teaching reading is kept out of our schools as effectively as if we had a dictatorship with an all-powerful ministry of education. Yeah, he is spot on. He 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 is he's spot on. Uh, the educators were furious with him. He made them appear and look stupid and incompetent. Uh, you know, at, at this point in time, Dewey and his disciples are are dead and gone, but their disciples are still alive and well. Uh, a gentleman by the name of Arthur Gates at Columbia and William Scott Gray at the University of Chicago, because ultimately that's where Dewey went. 
he went to the University of Chicago, which, by the way, is a cesspool. All right, that's just my own sidebar. William Scott Gray at the University of Chicago and Arthur Gates at Columbia. They were determined to carry on Dewey's work. The professors of reading organized the International Reading Association, the IRA, to maintain the dominance of look-say in primary reading instruction. Today, look-say permeates the educational marketplace so thoroughly and in so many guises, and it is so widely and uncritically accepted that it takes expert knowledge by a teacher or parent to know the good from the bad. So uh, Dr. Flesh wrote a follow-up book in 1981, and the follow-up book was entitled Why Johnny Still Can't Read, and here's what he wrote. 25 years ago, I studied American methods of teaching reading and warned against educational catastrophe. Now it has happened. So in 1981, he was saying, you know, it's upon us. Educational catastrophe is absolutely upon us. Our kids can't read. Carl Shapiro, 1970, was an, an, the eminent poet professor who taught creative writing for 20 years. This is what he, he, he said to his audience. Even these best students have fallen victim to this dumbing down process. So this dumbing down phrase was even being used in 1970. So we, we've been watching the dumbing down happen literally for decades. So Carl Sh Shapiro says this, what is really distressing is that this generation cannot and does not read. I'm speaking of university students in what are supposed to be our best universities. Their illiteracy is staggering. We are experiencing a literacy breakdown, which is unlike anything I know in the history of letters. And I think case in point is the Federalist Papers. You know, we have college students complaining, oh, the Federalist Papers are so hard to read. I've complained about it. I've complained about reading the Federalist Papers. I'm like, man, this is... But yet farmers in upstate New York were reading the Federalist Papers in 18 or 1787, 1788. They're reading the Federalist Papers, which were debating the necessities and the importance of the Constitution. And these men are, are, are reading that perfectly. And yet we struggle reading the Federalist Papers. The seniors in our government class at Waterbrook Christian Academy it's it's a tough read for us because we're not used to having this kind of reading. We're not used to, to being taught in the way that reading used to be taught. We're not used to seeing these words. We're not used to, um, you know, we're not used to any of this. Our kids go to college. And the professors are complaining because the kids are illiterate. Oh, I mean, they can read. Don't get me wrong. But they're illiterate. They can't read well. Dewey and his ilk have succeeded 
and dumbing down education. And it's been so gradual. It's, it's been happening really, you know, under the cover of darkness. And now we are to the point where in Oregon, they've just decided, let's just throw it all out. We don't need it. I'm telling you, parents in Oregon, you you have some choices to make. You really do. You You have some important choices. What are you going to do? Do you leave the public system altogether? I mean, that would that would make a statement. But then you have a place to go. You have to have a place to go. Uh, you've got homeschool co-op options. You you have private school options, and I get it. There's some money in private school. I mean, you have to be able to afford it. Uh, but you have some decisions to make, and these are the most important decisions that that you are going to make. How your kids are educated is the most important decision that that you can possibly make. Yep. Absolutely. I'm going to go back to this article with Alex Newman. I got sidetracked when Thomas Sowell said, uh, it's not merely that Johnny can't read or even that Johnny can't think. Johnny doesn't know what thinking is. And that is in the reference to the the book I was diverted to. Uh, because Sowell says, thinking is so often confused with feeling in many public schools. And this is what this is what public schools have done. They have succeeded in confusing thinking with feeling. Let's focus on the feelings. How do you feel? You know, that's what this this social emotional learning is all about. How do you how do you feel? My feelings were hurt. I mean, I just oh boy, don't get me started. Charlotte Thompson Iservit, a former senior policy advisor to the U.S. Department of Education, wrote in 1999, quote, the reason Americans do not understand this war is because it has been fought in secret in the schools of our nation, targeting our children who are captive in classrooms. The wagers of the war are using very sophisticated and effective tools. Uh, instead of learning basic skills, children are taught in schools critical race theory. Children in kindergarten are taught that they may have been born in the wrong body and they can take pills or undergo a surgical procedure to reflect their true selves. And so that's where we are. This is the this is the place that this is the place that we've come to. The dumbing down of our education is a very real thing, and it has been real for decades. It's been real since the 1950s and even prior. It has been real for maybe a hundred years. And so now we're we've hit a point where schools aren't even going to measure, at least in Oregon, they're not going to measure proficiency in reading, writing, and, and, and arithmetic. And that's what Dewey said in the beginning. Let's just socialize. Let's, that's all they need. They just need to know how to interact with one another, ultimately. I mean, they, you know, they just, they just, it, it's code for, they just need to know how to do what we want them to do. They need to take orders, and they need to be thoroughly confused. 
they need to be completely confused to the point that they don't even know what gender they are. If we could get them that confused or they don't know what gender they are, then we will have we will have hit gold, my friends. And it is evil that they would that they would want to, you know, we we send our schools off to a place and we do it trustingly. We trust the people in charge and we have faith and we believe that they're going to do right by our kids, that they are going to teach them the things that they need to know. And today the buzzword is we're going to teach them the things that they need to know so they can succeed in a global economy. You know, but in 1957, they weren't worried about that, at least not in, in Millington, Michigan. The plaque read that we want worthy, law-abiding, God-fearing citizens. That, that that was the cause. That was the, the sacred purpose. That's what that school said. I've, I talked about it in, a, in previous shows. You can go back and find it in the podcast. There's a plaque hanging on, on the wall, the Millington School District here in Michigan, 1957. The school board makes this declaration that they felt like they had a sacred purpose. And their sacred purpose was to develop worthy, law-abiding, God-fearing citizens. And they, they further went that they felt the sacred purpose was in conjunction with the family and the church, that the three entities together, the school, the family, and the church were united in one cause. And that one cause was to develop worthy, law-abiding, God-fearing citizens. But the Marxist playbook said, you know, we want to we want to take over education, and we got to do it by taking over teachers' unions. We've got to take over the textbooks. We've got to, you know, take over the colleges so the new teachers can be taught what we want them to be taught. And we just we saw that example here in terms of phonics, something as simple as phonics. We're still teaching them how to read, but we're not teaching them how to read well. And therein lies the difference. Oh, they're, they're still getting an education. They're just not learning it well. And, the, and, and, and that's what they want. That's exactly what they want. They want to have our kids stupid. As I, as I, I, I have repeated, they want your, they want little Johnny, little Sally, little Susie, to come out of education without an education, to come out of schools not having been schooled, to come out <laughs> completely dumb. I can read, but I tell you what I can really do. Yeah, I can I can do that dance move on TikTok. That's what I can really do. I'm so good. Well, watch me. Watch me do this dance move. That's what they want. That, uh, no, they don't want them reading the Federalist Papers. I mean, you can try to read the Federalist Paper, but we, we don't want you to be able to understand it. We want you to lack the understanding of understanding the Federalist Papers. Because then, 
we can get you to lack the understanding to understand the Constitution. And if you don't understand the Constitution, then we've got you. Because then we can take your country. Oh, it just seems like such a large conspiracy theory to think this is this has been going on for decades and for decades, right under our noses. It just seems like, oh, that's a big conspiracy theory. You know how many people would have to be involved in that? Over how many decades would have to be involved in that for that to actually be a thing? You know, I don't know how many, but uh, I mean, they do. They, they know how many, and they've been pulling it off. They've been pulling it off, right? In real time. It's happening in real time right before our very eyes. I am not going to get to the clips I wanted to get to today. Uh, I wanted to hear from a lady by the name of Erin Lee. And her her story is, um, it's something else. She, um, her daughter was transitioned, unbeknownst to her and her husband. And she, she caught it. She caught it early on. And her story is something else. Maybe we'll get to that. Maybe we'll get to that tomorrow. Uh, she, she just goes into such detail and she's out there. She's out there fighting the fight after what happened to her daughter. Uh, she's out there fighting the fight, and her daughter is coming alongside of her. And I really want you to hear her story. So maybe tomorrow we'll be able to to play those clips and dive into it in earnest. Well, that's all the time we have for today, America. I am grateful that you have joined us. Get out there and encourage your friends and family to get on the Dean's List. Let's unite to renovate the age. <laughs>